What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? Welcome back to The Drip, the podcast where four academics of color sit around and discuss great books. Each episode features a free-flowing conversation about one book that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, and politics. All the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops, tea shops, or in each other's homes. Uh, We're again at Todd's place right now, so thank you, Todd, Lucia, and Bash for hosting us. You're very welcome. Uh, so I'm Anita Chikotur. I'm the host for the show, and I teach in the Department of Educational Studies at Carleton College. I'm Adriana Asto. I teach English and American Studies at Carleton College. I'm Crystal Moulton, and I teach African American History at McAllister College. I'm Todd Lawrence. I teach African American Literature and Culture, Folklore, and Cultural Studies in the English Department at the University St. Thomas. <laughs> All right. So in this episode, we're discussing Lorraine Hansberry's acclaimed play, A Raisin in the Sun, from 1959. So it is 2019. It is the 60th anniversary of the play. The title, of course, comes from Langston Hughes' famous poem, Harlem, which is also known as Dream Deferred. Hansberry was an African-American writer, playwright, visionary. She was the first black woman to have a play performed on Broadway. She was the inspiration for Nina Simone's song, Young, Black, and Gifted. And she was actually a huge figure in black leftist and communist politics. She went to a lot of international communist conferences. And as Todd was saying before we started, that's a part of her sort of career in life that I don't think gets talked about a lot. So we did want to mention that. And story in the play parallels some of the real life struggles against housing segregation in Chicago by Hansberry's family, which actually eventually went up to the Supreme Court, Hansberry versus Lee. So, as usual, spoiler alert, before we dig in, just a reminder that when we discuss our books, we talk about everything. As you may know, we do call ourselves the All Spoilers Collective, so consider this your perpetual, universal, all-encompassing spoiler alert. In other words, we're all about spoilers and not about summaries. But, to be fair, this play has been around since 1959, so if you're annoyed by the spoilers, it's your fault. (laughs) All right. So this, I'm pretty sure, is the first play that we've read. So I wanted to... I I think so. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to ask a little bit about... Well, it's not the first play we've read. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) we've read to discuss about... uh, (laughs) Fair point, fair point. Uh, Well, I feel like most of the plays I've read, I was like forced to read in like high school, right? Like, I don't know, Shakespeare This might be the first play I've read. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. We've got a lot of firsts happening. So it's certainly the first play that we're discussing on Yay. the podcast. So I just wanted to ask a little bit about what does it mean to read a play, right? Because a lot of the times, I mean, I feel like I go see a lot of plays being performed. I actually went to see um, Park Square Theater's perform- uh, performance of A Raisin in the Sun last year. But how do we kind of read plays? How do we think about it as a reading genre? Yeah, I, th- I was thinking about that because, you know, not only thinking about A Raisin in the Sun uh, kind of being, you know, hi- so historically important and being around so long, I thought, hmm, we're talking about A Raisin in the Sun. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I've read it. You know, what could, what, what could I say about it? Mm-hmm. And so this time as I was reading it, I was really kind of focusing on, um, you know, the aspects of the text that make it a play. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 the directions that are written in the play mm-hmm. to think about 
you know, what can I learn from the directions as well as from the action that's happening in the play? Hmm. Um, and in thinking about that, just wanting to begin with like the first set of directions, uh, act one, scene one, this is what Lorraine Hansberry writes. She says, the younger living room would be a comfortable and well-ordered room if it were not for a number of indestructible hmm. contradictions to this state of being. Its furnishings are typical and undistinguished, and their primary feature now is that they have clearly had to accommodate the living of too many people for too many years, and they are tired. Mm. Still, we can see that at, at some time, a time probably no longer remembered by the family, except perhaps for Mama, the furnishings of this room were actually selected with care and love mm. and even hope, and brought to this apartment and arranged with taste and pride. And so thinking about the, the um, do you have something different? I have something so different. And short. Um, no, I mean, it still short. has some heft, but it is different enough. No, I still it. marked it because I was still yeah. injured, but oh my gosh, it's shorter than this. Ah. Yeah, absolutely. I have what you, you have. Okay. <clears throat> oh, that's interesting. Um, so I, yeah. uh, mine, I, I have a different edition. It's okay. the Samuel French uh, play edition, which uh, mm. is something to consider, right? Um, all the rest of you have editions that are made for reading, mm -hmm. that are made for readers. And I would imagine they're actually probably a better representation of everything that Hansberry wanted to right. have there. Mm -hmm. right. And I'm getting something that's winnowed down for directors. Mm. Um, mm. And, oh, and yet is still kind of like a fulsome in the way that it describes the characters and the yeah, space. Read a little bit of yours. So it says, Ruth is about 30. We can see that yeah. she was a pretty girl, but now it is apparent that life has been little she expected and disappointment has begun to hang in her face. In oh, a few wow. years before 35 even, she will be known among her people as a settled woman. This does not mean she lacks spirit or strength. She's a woman in the middle, torn between the needs and dreams of others, and she subordinates herself because caring deeply about theirs, she chooses to, but underneath is a fire that will erupt as needs be. I think I any think I, of that. Well, is that, 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 that yeah, that's a little, that, a little bit of, of that. Yeah, oh, I have that too. What is that? Yeah, that is. Is that in uh, your version, Crystal? It's, it's just on the next page. Um, oh, never mm -hmm. mind. Okay, I see it. So isn't yeah. that fascinating? Like I feel but you like don't, you don't have the stage. I, direction. I don't have the stage directions, yeah. um, but they might be in some separate because there's a. Oh, never mind. It's moved into the production notes. Okay, oh. interesting. And 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 the reason why I was I was struck by that that first set of stage directions because I was really thinking, you know, how do you mm -hmm. set up a play or set up a movie? You know, however mm -hmm. you're thinking about reproducing this to show that things were, you know, uh, um, selected with care and love right. and hope. Mm -hmm. Or how do you... What does that look like? What does that yeah. look like? How yeah. do you show think, that there are a number of indestructible contradictions, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so... Um, I mean, I think if you could... Being able to see that in your mind has a lot to do with whether you've seen it before, yeah. right? And yeah. so, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can think of a lot of homes mm -hmm. of my relatives mm -hmm. that look mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. where it wasn't... Uh, there was either like an attempt to preserve the newness of really old yes. things, yes. or there were mm -hmm. um, there were objects or furniture that was old, but you could tell that it was a that they had been and still were a kind of source of pride. Yes, yes, and yeah. um, dignity, right. right? And you know, so the contradiction was between the the actual condition and mm. age of the objects, right. but what they meant and what they were uh, supposed to yeah. signify about the people who own them, right? right. So. Mm -hmm. 
I think. Yeah. But, I, but I do appreciate that Hansberry doesn't simply say, oh, these are, you know, poor people right. who have preserved their objects, right. right, and keep them up well, right? right? right. Uh, it gets at the, the dignity right. of mm -hmm. the family right. in a... It, uh, in a way that like then you're supposed to translate into this visual right. space. Right. So what I was going to say about genre, um, you know, and I think talking about stage directions is a good way to get into this, is that plays are the only genre that actually asks us to do this really complex imagining into three-dimensional space mm -hmm. and then into, um, you know, arguably kind of fourth dimension in that we have to move through time, mm -hmm. right, right, with this story mm -hmm. um, in a really visceral and material way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when I uh, teach drama to students, like I ask them, you know, like we draw the set, for right. example, mm -hmm. and try so to imagine what thing. it looks yeah. like. Because right. that kind of work helps you to really think very closely about not just what the the playwright may have wanted you to see, but also what do you see, right? right. You know, because and I think it's you know plays have different um, levels of or, or amounts of, of stage directions. You mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. Shakespeare right. doesn't have that much many stage directions, yeah. uh, but Lorraine Hansberry has a lot, a lot of stage yeah. directions. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're right mm -hmm. in the middle of the speeches, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. right? About right, how right, someone right. should touch someone or how someone should mm -hmm. look on right. their face and things right. like that, which mm -hmm. I hadn't. Um, you know, if you see, like my main exposure to this play <laughs> is the is the movie with Sidney. Poitier, mm, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then to read it and really like spend some time sort of think, thinking about those stage directions, which I was I was the same as everybody, like that's the thing that really jumped out to me. Mm -hmm. Is what what does she want us to feel? Right. And to you know, what's she trying to convey to us right. through the way she's trying to get this the actors to move or engage mm -hmm. with each other or to look, you know. Right. Yeah. I just laugh because I just happened to see so it's on page twenty six of my version. So mm -hmm. this is when like Walter and Ruth are sort of having like a first conversation and and this kind of builds up to it, right? I mean, there's I, like I marked the scene when they're going on about the eggs. Uh, maybe we can get <laughs> yeah. to that. But this is earlier than that. Um, and so he's like trying to read the paper, I think. And then it says, Ruth, maximum indifference, did they? <laughs> Walter, looking up, what's the matter with you? Ruth, ain't nothing the matter with me. And don't keep asking me that this morning, Walter. Ain't nobody bothering you. Reading the news, and this is directions, reading the news of the day absently again. Say, Colonel McCormick is sick. And this is the part that I, sort of made me laugh. Ruth, in the stage direction, says, affecting tea party interest. <laughs> 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 is he now? Poor thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, what a great, <laughs> great way to describe that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sort of great, um, you know, I think one of the things that she does really well in this play is that she captures the, the way that people sort of deal with each other emotionally. I mean, it's, it feels really real to me. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's, okay, so I'm gonna have to come clean again about like one of my, this is another one of those, those texts where I have like um, pre uh, presumptions about it, you know, like prejudices about it or whatever. And um, when I was younger, I thought this play was like, this is kind of like an assimilationist play. This is kind of like Ooh. a not radical play. Yeah, that was actually one of the critiques of the play. Right, that this play mm -hmm. is, is not radical. This play is, is politically, you know, middle of the road. Right. It's milk mm -hmm. toast, blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I became, <laughs> I became a scholar of the black arts movement and the mm. drama of the black arts movement is like, let me bash you over the head with this pipe that, that right. has my politics right on it, you know, mm -hmm. stamp it in your forehead. Yeah. Um, and, you know, experiment mental um, form, 
you know, just playing with the the, the concepts of the genre yeah. <laughs> and rejecting the sort of Western yeah. structures of, of of drama in general, right? Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like that about this play, but I mean, it's it's I would say it's relatively recently for me, maybe the last fifteen years or something, when I was sort of um, number one thinking again about this play, going back to it, and finding out or, or realizing that its power is in its rendering of relationships in a black family that's under pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. secondly, you know, now, and especially since I'm about halfway through Imani Perry's um, biography of Lorraine Hansberry, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, looking so, for Lorraine. Yeah, looking for Lorraine. Um, sort of reassessing Lorraine Hansberry. And mm-hmm. actually that sort of happens mm-hmm. like through my um, engagement with James Baldwin who adored Lorraine yeah. Hansberry. Mm-hmm. He thought she was a genius. And yeah. she, he yeah. wasn't the only one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, she was, mm-hmm. um, here's a person that did, you know, did a little bit of college, never really, I don't think she graduated from college, um, mm-hmm. oh. but became sort of like mm-hmm. um, a well-regarded, um, highly esteemed thinker. Yeah. And and a person who w- wouldn't wouldn't take anything from anyone. So like, a person who would act, you know, a person who would. I mean, James Baldwin has. Um, uh, if you if you've seen the documentary, I am not your Negro. Negro in that um, film is a sort of anecdote about he and Lorraine Hansberry going to visit Bobby Kennedy, and how yes. she basically tells off Bobby Kennedy, yeah. but does mm-hmm. it in that way where it's like she doesn't raise her voice. She yeah. just like right. <laughs> leaves the room, and right. everyone's like. I can't believe she said that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so, like, really sort of appreciating her for that, like, the, the intense power of understatedness, which I think I, I really recognize in this play now. Can we um, get, get at that? So, like, the the way in which uh, it could be argued to be an assimilationist narrative is principally that it's about a family who wants to leave Chicago's South Side, right. it's an impoverished neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and upon getting insurance money from the father's death, decides we're gonna go to the suburbs. Right. And there's actually like a really interesting story, right, that the, the mother tells about like, this is where she could actually afford right. to buy a house right. too, yeah. right? right? Yeah. Um, but the ending of the play seems to me to really like, I mean, the story is not actually about a move to the suburbs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, so I really like the way you said it, Todd, which is it's about black families' relationships when they are under pressure. And so I yeah. think this is a, really a play about those pressures yeah. Yeah. and about where they're coming from and why they're felt experienced as pressures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like this family's at the crossroads of all these sort of ideologies mm-hmm. of, the, right. of the moment, right? Yeah, right. Um, this, this sort of like... Um, you know, sort of embracing Africa mm-hmm. versus sort of middle class black aspirations, respectability, mm-hmm. right. um, you know, political radicalism, capitalism. I mean, mm-hmm. if there's, you know, Walter Younger wants to be a capitalist. <laughs> right. He wants, and, and he mm-hmm. understands, I mean, there's that great conversation between he and his mom yep. when he's basically telling her that money is everything. And she was like, what about our fight for freedom and all that right. kind of stuff? And he's right. like, it was always about money, right? <laughs> and um, so his yeah. sort of investment in, um, the the sort of capitalist American dream, which connects him to you know like Willie Loman and it's a sort of whole history of um, of characters in in Western drama. So yeah, I mean it's like all this stuff. But that gets at another point, right? And I'm sorry, I'm going to let other people talk soon. No, <laughs> just, just, just after this point. one point, because um, 
you know, it is a play that I think can be understood as a play about Walter Young. Mm-hmm. I don't think Never. that, Never. like, that if I'm going to argue for, like, what I think the play is about, it's really about the mother. Yeah. Right? Um, it it is explain. A, Please explain what you mean. I agree with you, but yeah. I want to know what you So I think that this, this um, you know, there's this story about generations, um, about uh, the precarity of the reproduction of black life. Um, and so there's this moment very early on when the mom talks about, you know, that uh, the father, right, Big Walter, it's, uh, I think this must be scene one still. Sorry that I don't have the same page numbers as y'all. Um, Big Walter used to say he'd get right wet in the eyes sometimes, lean his head back. Seem like God didn't see fit to give the black man nothing but dreams, but he did give us children to make them dreams seem worthwhile. And so she anchors this definition of dreams and of what really matters very early on. And we also get the story of um, Big Walter, um, you know, surrounding the death of a child, right? Mm -hmm. I'm forgetting exactly where that is in the play. Mm -hmm. So there's both the possibility of life and like what children mean, and there's also like Mm -hmm. the precarity of that Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And by the time we get to the end of the play, um, the pressure that uh, Mama can exert on Walter to make, Walter younger, to make the right choice about the house is about the generations mm-hmm. and about children. Right, mm-hmm. well, about your son. What's your yeah. son? You want your son to see you that way, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, because <laughs> this is always my thing. It's like um, <laughs> when 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 Walter's like, okay, we're going to, if they're going to want us out of their neighborhood, we're going to get some money out of it. And right. I'm kind of like, okay, <laughs> that sounds good to me. In some ways, that's a, that's an, a rational economic it's choice. It's a very rational mm-hmm. economic mm-hmm. choice. But mm-hmm. she's trying to point, show him, that it's it's a move it's selling yourself out and selling yourself short mm-hmm. and um, I mean one of the things that she sees in her kids that troubles her is the way that they seem to be defining themselves by things external to themselves right. mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to um, mm-hmm. you know sort of holding on to something because that's what she, for her I suppose it is um, it's Christianity I mean it's it's derived from the Christian faith. That's really powerful, and of course, Benita yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. believe that, right? Yeah, right. And has a real big conflict mm-hmm. with her mother over this, right? Um, but what is what? I mean, maybe what Benita has, or maybe what both of them have, is that dream, right? Benita's going to be a doctor. She wants to be independent. She wants to be on her own, right? Um, and Walter has this dream of this. I don't need it, it, the liquor store is a dream, but it's not really even the liquor store. It's just like it's being just money, money. Yeah. yeah, being in having money, being independent, yeah. being yeah. someone important, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, that's the only thing that they have. And if they lose that, then it's almost like they're destroyed, right? And of course, what Mama models is a person who has had many dreams over the years, mm-hmm. has lost them, but hasn't been destroyed by it. I mean, is that fair to say? So I think just to maybe go to the text, kind of where you're talking about. So mm-hmm. this is almost towards the end, right? And um, so let's see. Uh, and Walter says, see, that's the old stuff. You and that boy that was here today. You all want everybody to carry a flag and a spear and sing some marching songs, huh? You want to spend your life looking into things and trying to find the right and the wrong part, huh? Yeah. You know what's going to happen to that boy someday? He'll find himself sitting in a dungeon locked in forever and the takers will have the key. Forget it, baby. There ain't no causes. There ain't nothing but taking in this world. And he who is the smartest, he who takes most is smartest. And it doesn't make a damn bit of difference how. And then Mama says, you making something inside me cry, son. Some awful pain. Walter, 
don't cry mama understand that white man is going to walk in that door able to write checks for more money than we've ever had it's a word to him and i'm going to help him i'm going to put on the show mama and mama says son i come from five generations of people who was slaves and sharecroppers but ain't nobody in my family never let nobody pay no money that was a way of telling us we wasn't fit to walk the worth we ain't never been that poor Mm. we ain't never been that dead inside Mm -hmm. So the poverty is yeah. not like poverty of material things or right. money. It's poverty of spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And that's what mm-hmm. she's seeing in him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it reminds me of, if I dare go there, I mean, it reminds me of sort of like the attitude of uh, of, uh, of, our, of our president, like the whole thing about winners and losers, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm a winner and you're mm-hmm. a loser, mm-hmm. but how do you measure right. what a winner is? Mm-hmm. I have more money than you. I went to a better school than you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my wife is prettier than yours or something like that, right? These sort of superficial external things. Right. But the real question is, like, what's really inside, right? True, but at the same time, right? I mean, like, housing segregation matters because of the very material right. sort of ways in which black families were divested from. So that's but there's right. something really similar, which yeah. is that we have a critique of capitalism in the play that yet sits on this narrative of capitalism. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, I, honestly, I think that's a contradiction that's really deliberate yeah. in the play that um, that this kind of like family cohesion and, and um, uh, what's the word I want? Strength, generational strength and um what development through perpetuity right like whatever like i don't have the language for it but like that that the only place it has to do that is within a capitalist structure that is damaging at the same time mm-hmm. and that's why the end of the play like and i feel like this was not as clear in the movie like in the it's movie the very, very end. So in the movie, you just get them all leaving, and they I don't remember, at least it didn't stand out to me, this moment where we get in the play, where the last image we get is Ruth, again, putting her fist to her mouth to stifle, takes a final desperate mm. look, pulls her coat about her, pats her hat and exit. Oh, wait, that's Mama, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's Mama. Right. But mm-hmm. that look, that expression is used to talk about Ruth earlier in the play when she's dealing with this pregnancy that she doesn't mm-hmm. know how. So we mm-hmm. get this repetition of a bodily expression mm-hmm. from Ruth to Mama, mm-hmm. which are both about births that you're not, like, or, or babies to come that you're not sure whether it's gonna yield, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How to take care yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And so like this play is not a utopic play of like now everything's gonna be fine right. and dandy. Especially given well, all the things that are that they like refer to, right? Which right. I think like um the scene with the neighbor, which is that in the movie? No, that's no. I think it wasn't in the, the play movie. that no. I went to either, right? And she like specifically think... talking about Right, sort of like family that got bombed, or I'm I trying don't to think remember. Actually, it, it, it might be in the know, movie. That um, might be in the movie. She, like that neighbor comes in, who's like, um, where she's all like, sort of like uh, loud talking. People yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember like, that? Um, so let me see. I'm trying to find where that is. So she saying, like comes in Benita, and she talks about Benita, the, it, all, those college people, you know, and she doesn't right. seem like she hardly can talk. It, Johnson, anybody okay. who doesn't have a college I, I don't degree. think it's in the movie. Oh, I, I, that's not in this. This is scene two. It might not be because it's actually asterisked in my in my text, and it says this scene was often cut from um, from pr- uh, productions. Yeah. So okay. it actually might not even be. Yeah, it's asterisk in mine, too. Oh, it's at the end as a 
Yeah, she does. It's like oh. when the day when the boxes are so they're gonna mm-hmm. move. Yeah, the boxes yeah, yeah, are yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. and she comes in and starts sits down, and oh, they yeah, no. they keep offering her like a drink and then right, pie right. or something. Sweet potato oh, pie. Okay. And all. Oh, yeah. right. And she takes yeah. it all, and then she insults them the whole time, like on the, <laughs> right. sort of. Like, so she okay. says, "Yeah, it does say you're right." Insults. Oh, now I lost the page where it is. Uh, but yeah, it does have a little thing that it's like usually cut out. But basically, she's sort of like, "Oh, aren't you being all like high and mighty, moving out of like you know your neighborhood and like all of the stuff?" But I feel like she also to the violence that yeah she says lord i bet this time next month y'all's names will have been in the papers yeah. plenty right. negroes invade clyborne park bombed mm. and so that she actually kind of did happen that, like, right? right i mean i feel like um mm-hmm. right reading is about like wilkerson's book where yeah. she talks about all those mm-hmm. things happening but also um i do want to i thought where you're going to go with walter younger was about kind of thinking about gender so maybe we'll get to that but i yeah. guess quickly since we're kind of on that thing about like the play ends and they're moving but we don't know what's going to necessarily happen mm-hmm. to them so I watched uh, the documentary Jim Crow of the North this morning, and it is about uh, racial segregation in Minneapolis and how right there were all these like racial covenants that restricted houses from being sold to various kinds of people. But mm-hmm. sort of they talked about how African Americans literally were in like every racial covenant, and there were like other people mentioned in different covenants. But they talked about this guy Arthur Lee, who was able to buy a house at Forty uh, Sixth and Columbus in Minneapolis, partly because that was like one track that didn't have a racial covenant in its contract. So he was a World War One vet and he worked for the postal office. So he bought a house there and you know, and it like after a while, so first it, the same thing as like the guy in the play, right? Like the neighborhood committee came over and was like offered to buy the house. They refused. And then at some point there apparently were like five to six thousand white people like gathered outside mm-hmm. their house intimidating them. They poisoned their dog and they like threw things at them. Um, and finally, like, I think they lasted two years um, and then they moved out. I guess the one sort of note of hope was that apparently, like, other World War One vets and, like, postal workers did actually, like, stand guard at the house and, like, protect them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, I think it is, like, interesting that who knows, right? Who knows how long the younger family lasts in Claiborne Park. As a tiny little side note on yeah. Arthur Lee, um, that house is actually on the Historic House Registry yes. in Minneapolis. Yes. It's in Prospect Park, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Yeah, and there's like yeah. a sign outside that mm-hmm. sort of yeah. talks about what happens. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, but I guess, um, so Crystal, before we started, you sort of read the excerpt that's like on your book about Walter, mm-hmm. right? Like what oh, the play right. is about. Right, yeah. And this, <laughs> and, and it appears that the version I have, which is a really old version, <laughs> Is the version that corresponded with the with the mo- the first movie, mm-hmm. um, and so the the subtitle says the explosive story of a husband's raw human need, a family's courage and strength, yeah. and so you know the this is kind of totally kind of the opposite of of us th- you know of our discussions about this play being kind of about mama, um, mm-hmm. but this version is kind of, you know, highlighting the, the problems that Walter is experiencing, which, you know, as I was, yeah, I, I, I thought in terms of thinking about the play in terms of its kind of comments on gender, particularly for, you know, the late 1950s, 19, you know, into the 1960s, um, I saw the play both being in tension with gender norms and then also, mm-hmm. um, kind of highlighting kind of especially norms about masculinity because I think while we can look at kind of this play as being about mama and the power she has over her family at the end of the play she still seeds 
that power to to her son yeah. Walter, who has proven that maybe he's not to be trusted. <laughs> he's not, yeah, he's not very reliable. He's no, not reliable, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. And so, but still, there's this sense that you know we have to think of him as the man of the house, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in contrast to you know Ruth or Benita, who have proven themselves more responsible in right. some ways. I right. mean, we can question Benita <laughs> uh, throughout throughout the play. And so there's this kind of, this um, this yielding to masculinity that happens in the play at yeah. the end that to me, you know, we have this buildup of, oh, you know, Benita wants to be a doctor and she should be able to be a doctor. And, and Ruth is trying to make her own reproductive decisions. Right. Um, and Mama is you know, figuring out what to do with this, you know, boatload of money. But then in the end, it's still about there needs to be a man in the household to make that final decision. Right. I right. somewhat disagree. Okay. But oh. let me finish, though. <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, and so I think part of it, though, is, again, kind of thinking about mama's um, adherence to Christianity and the ways in which Christianity, and it's specifically black Christianity, um, you know, require that male head of household in the absence of Big Walter, mm-hmm. there has to be a substitute. Um, and so she yields some of her, I think some of her motherly power to him because she thinks it will build him up and then keep the, fam- keep the legacy of the family going. But I think that's done at tremendous sacrifice. Yeah, and I, before we maybe disagree, or maybe I wonder if we could go to the scene with the eggs, just because I thought it was like a really interesting scene, and I wonder how I should read that, mm-hmm. right, given kind of your take on that, right? So basically, it's kind of in the morning, mm-hmm. and this is in, mm. well, it's a really the famous first, scene, too. Right. Yeah. Um, so he's like talking about wanting to get the liquor, you know, wanting right. the money to get the liquor store, mm-hmm. and she says... Uh, blah 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 and he's like oh right you might have to like you know basically bribe people and so Ruth says you mean graft Walter don't call it that see there that just goes to show you women under what women understand about the world maybe don't nothing happen for you in this world unless you pay somebody off mm. Ruth says Walter leave me alone eat your eggs they're gonna be cold that's it there you are man says to his woman I got me a dream mm. his woman says eat your eggs man say I got a hold of this world here baby and a woman will say, eat your eggs and go to work. Man say, I gotta change my life. I'm choking to death, baby. And his woman say, your eggs is getting cold. And then well, Rude talking about the um, money, I guess. Walter, that ain't none of your money. Walter, this morning I was looking in the mirror and thinking about it. I'm 35 years old. I've been married 11 years and I got a boy who sleeps in the living room. And all mm. I gotta give them is stories about how rich white people live. Mm. Eat your eggs, Walter. Damn my eggs. Damn all the eggs that ever was. Sorry. <laughs> that was, that that was, was exciting. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Right. And so then he kind of goes on um, and it says, you know, more about the eggs, blah, blah, blah. Um, honey, you never say anything new. This is Ruth. I listen to you every day, every night, and every morning, mm-hmm. and you never say nothing new. Mm. So you would rather be Mr. Arnold than a chauffeur. Yeah, so I would rather be living in Buckingham Palace. That is just what is wrong with the colored women in this world. Don't understand about building up their men and making them feel they somebody. Like they can do something. There are colored men who do things. No thanks to the colored woman. Well, being a colored woman, I guess I can't help myself none. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know, just sort of trying to fit, um, Oh, then, and Walter keeps going and he says, 
We want a group of men tied to a race of women with small minds. Mm. Yeah, so I think, you know, um, at its heart, we're not actually meant to really like Walter Younger. Mm. We're meant to appreciate his struggle, certainly, Mm. and empathize, Mm. but not see him as reliable throughout, right? And and we're supposed to see any seeding of power that we do see happening as a sacrifice, as you Mm -hmm. said, Crystal. Mm -hmm. I think that scene is really important and really vital because, um, I mean, eggs are, of course, also a symbol of Mm. things that can be birthed, the fertility Mm -hmm. and possibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, like, Ruth is doing exactly what he wants her to do, just not in the way that he thinks it should be done Mm. um and so it brings up this question of like whose dream and it gets Mm. back to the the poem that like you know for the Mm. movie is flashed on the screen before i'm not sure how they handle it in i've never seen it on stage but i'm sure that the langston hughes poem is right there Mm -hmm. and you've heard it at the top of the show right so like what happens to a dream deferred well whose dream and who gets Mm. to define what the parameters of that dream are Mm -hmm. and what's really interesting about this play is um you know even though it, I, I think the, the way I'd put my argument mm-hmm. <laughs> is that Mama has soft power. Mm-hmm. Like Walter, like mm-hmm. uh, Ruth really wanted that house and mm-hmm. she used her own kind of soft power mm-hmm. and kind of letting Mama come to that decision. But also there are like hints that Mama already had that thought. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? I mean, that, she went out and put yes, that. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Right. But I mean, before yeah. that, oh, right? Before like in that. the in yeah. the whole Ruth conversation with mm-hmm. Mama about like, mm-hmm. oh, like you do what you want. You should go around Europe. You know, you should right, travel right, the world. Right. right. And Mama's already thinking about mm-hmm. a house. Yeah. We get a lot of hints about like the the poison that this house is made out of right mm-hmm. and like the way in which she sees that and she wants more for her family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and at the end when you know she um yes kind of cedes this control to walter younger hoping that he will take the reins in the right way right and he does but he has to he, he i was not Finish. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes through that whole like thing with Mr. What's his name? Lindner. Lindner. Yeah. So like Minnesotan, really. Um, and, you know, at the end of that, right, like everyone leaves except Mama and Ruth. And um, she says really quietly, woman to woman, it says, he finally come to manhood today, didn't he? Kind of like a rainbow after the rain. And Ruth, biting her lip, lest her Mm -hmm. own pride explode in front of Mama. Yes, Lena. So, like, that's a really interesting moment. And I think, you know, it does um, support some of what you're saying, Crystal. Right? Like, there's a seeding of economic and financial power. Mm -hmm. But there's a moral power um, that she is standing on. And, you know, like, because she she can't drag him kicking and screaming into an understanding. But like maybe, maybe the question is like, why does it have to be him? Why can't it be beneath? I mean, why can't it be Ruth? Why can't it be Ruth? Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. who makes that final decision? Well, I guess like whose dream is the most important? Right. Um, Right. I mean, I think you know, there's this thing about Mm -hmm. Mama's dream versus Walter Walter's dream, and why Walter's dream is a sort of poor and and uh, inappropriate dream because it's only about himself. He talks about his son and right. how his son's going to see him, blah, blah, blah. But it's really about him. Yep. It's in a kind of way. Right. And her, mm-hmm. but her dream, mm-hmm. even even the thing that she acts on, the house is for everyone. Yep. Right. The house is a shared dream, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Both Walter, Lee, and Vanitha have these dreams for themselves. No. But, I mean, I'm just sort of wondering, like, mm. why can't... They still seem to be kind of, like, rejecting Vanitha's dream to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. 
Um, even though at the end she does say, like, I'm going to go to Africa and be a doctor, and everyone's like, yeah, shut up, Walter's talking or whatever. Like, <laughs> right. They don't actually say that, but it just doesn't get that much attention. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And why is her dream any less, like, yeah. important than yeah. Walter Lee's? Mm-hmm. Okay, so his transformation <laughs> his transformation is to do something for the family as right. opposed to for himself so, yes. yeah. and he gets a hell of a lot of chances because he already gave away 6500 dollars right and, 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 oh and everyone's God. like i mean come on like right. he gave that money away right. and he is he is obviously contrite about it. And right, that's right. 1959. So that's like, a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Like and I heard I, that and I was like, that's a lot of money now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And if you watch like if you watch the the film, the Sydney Poitier version, it's uh, that's my favorite part is when he's like, oh, <laughs> oh, Winnie, <laughs> Winnie, not that money, Winnie. <laughs> I mean, that is. <laughs> <laughs> but it is like it's 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 number one it's like my favorite part of the movie but it's like this this amazingly almost over the top performance right, right. of contrition right. yeah but is right. it contrition for what he's done to the family no. or that his or or that his like masculinity was perhaps insulted because right. he trusted this dude right who clearly shouldn't have been trusted, trusted. right, right. Yes. yeah and that. i mean yeah. i think it's so like yeah. very much of like you know that the book cover that you brought up crystal mm-hmm. to start this conversation that the world is so swayed by his emotion right and like mm-hmm. it's in the play already and, and Poitiers just like makes it like yes. so real <laughs> while the kind of stoic um, yes. like persistence of mm-hmm. mama uh, is and like Ruth. not even it's and Ruth, and Ruth yeah. is downplayed and not yeah. misunderstood and not honored mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and the only thing like I think I don't know if you guys are by this but to me like the symbol of to me, the symbol of Mama's sort of internal self is the plant. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. she, yes. like, she, it's all raggedy. And, mm-hmm, you know, Ruth mm-hmm. even says, like, what do you want? You're bringing that mm-hmm, with us. Like, mm-hmm, that thing right. all looks ugly. Yeah. And she, at one point, she comes and she puts it outside of the window. Right. And that's when lots yeah. of this conflict is happening. Mm-hmm. And then she comes in at the end and it's the last thing that she takes uh, out of the yeah, house with yeah, her. Yeah, so yeah. she is going to take, but the, the, the idea, again, I think that's being suggested is that. Her internal self is subservient to right. the, the the needs of the family, the mm-hmm. sort of communal mm-hmm. dream mm-hmm. that is that is manifested in the house. Is there a way, though, that I mean, because you, you just said something so interesting about the environmental conditions. Yeah. And I wonder if we can also take that plant as a way to think about how the play comments on structural conditions. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, getting back to your point about um you know, segregation, housing segregation, but it's also just about uh, the conditions of living in general, right? So like, um, there's no light because I presume like there's like the houses are very close together mm-hmm. um, in in the play. And I don't this didn't seem to be really highlighted in the movie, which was fascinating to me. But in the play, they talk about Benita, like when they're doing their big cleaning, mm-hmm. you know, Benita's doing the insecticide right. and right. cracks right. in the right. walls. And yeah. Travis actually has to leave because right. like yeah. it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of those kitchenette apartments yes. that right. Gwendolyn Brooks right. made so yeah. famous. Right. right. Like it's, right. it's barely got a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Right. It's three rooms Rooms. or something like that the bathroom is shared Shared. right in the hallway yeah Yeah, all that stuff and the kids like sleeping on the couch in the living room right right so that that apartment is really in a way killing them Mm-hmm. I think. Right, right. But it's also sort of like squeezing them. Right. You know, to space wise. Um, so you can't really get away from right. anybody else in the house. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. 
No privacy. But I feel like, is that, like, the other critique that we could... I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm sort of curious about, like, yes, like, there are these, like, really terrible material conditions, but is there a way in which they want, like, a conflation of sort of poor material conditions with kind of thinking about not having a community or not having a positive sort of community in, like, the place that they were living in? Because I was thinking about, like, in the documentary, that was kind of, like, the other point that somebody made and, you know, how, right, even though, right, like, clearly... Like black uh, black communities did not have access to wealth, did not have access to loans, did not have access to that. But that did not mean that there was sort of a poverty of culture or poverty of. Right. Um, so I'm sort of curious about to the how country, do we read actually. that in here? Yeah, right. I think it's hard to read that in here because it's, the play is so focused on their like internal the yeah. family dynamic. Yeah. But I, again, I think one way though we do see them connecting to you know broader communities is kind of in the faith of mama, right? Because mm-hmm. that, that presupposes that there's a, a connection like a church, to a church, church. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then also um, thinking about the connection to neighbors, and mm-hmm. there's a moment in the play where uh, mama asks uh, Travis to go get some some washing cleaner mm-hmm. from oh, the neighbor, yeah. right? And, yeah. then, and he comes back, she doesn't have any. Right, <laughs> and then right, mama's right, like, well, right. you always asking for, you Pink know. And soda. Right, <laughs> and then what, what mama does is she puts down two cans mm-hmm. of the cleaning powder so that she can get some for the family and then some for mm-hmm. the neighbors. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that okay. speaks to... Like hints of like the community yeah. that exists. And yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, and that okay. there's some, yeah, a network there. How do we understand the kind of specter of African nationalism mm. and, you know, kind of homeland yeah. politics, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, in that also like thinking about communities mm-hmm. and what they mm-hmm. offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like, I don't think we can talk about that without also talking about George Merchantson yeah. because I think those two things are put in tension mm-hmm. right. um, and especially so talking about George Merchantson but then also bringing time that's a class yes. um, because there's this sense that kind of yeah, let me finish thinking about that. So what are you on? <laughs> well, no, no, it was yeah. funny because, yeah. you know, I'd kind of forgotten about the poor, uh, like the last scene where, like, mm-hmm. Benita, you know, Benita's like, to go to Africa, mama, to be doctor. And she's like, yeah, baby, whatever, right? <laughs> and then she's to. like, basically, and Walter's like, uh, you should totally marry George because he has the loot. Yeah. Right. 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 And so, so right. clearly, uh, Walter did. has learned his lesson. Right? <laughs> the lesson will not stick. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I feel I, like Benita is. Look at her name is Benita. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, ah! oh my gosh. I always beneath. She's always beneath. She's, she's a comic oh, character right. in, a, in a play that is. Mm. Is she in a movie? Yeah. Um and she is the flighty one, right? Like yeah. if Walter Young's unreliable, younger. it's a problem because Walter Younger, what did I say? Yeah. Young. Young. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um is unreliable, you mm. know, like it, it's a problem, right? Because he's the man, right? right? right. And if she's unreliable, it's it's like, I don't know, it's just flightiness. And right. She's the one who buys weird things. Right. 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 wants to what is she learning? Guitar. The guitar. First but they talk photography. Yeah. Yes. Right, yeah. Right. Okay. And apparently has been like putting money into these things. Things, mm-hmm. right? yeah, they're not cheap things. Like, right. Right. So like there's this interesting way in which Benita is this total consumer, right? Like trying yeah. to find her way. Right. Like they're both capitalists, mm-hmm. she and Walter Younger mm-hmm. in, in these different, different ways. ways. Yeah. Um yeah. and but you're right, beneath. Yeah. Yeah. And like at the oh, end, yeah. she, she she's not worth considering. Right. Right. Yeah, it's almost you know, like when she was her. born, it's like, well, she's <laughs> she's gonna get the leftovers. We'll just call her Benita. You know, like 
I mean, serious, right? Like, that's you know, the way I it works. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. Well, and even in the yeah. beginning of the play, right, it describes, like, the, in the stage directions, yeah. that Ruth is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Benita is handsome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's this, like, the, a way in which, like, at least in the mm-hmm. stage directions, we get this differentiation of the kind of woman that they're supposed to be. Right, right. Well, which right. makes me think, you know, when you when you bring mm-hmm. up, like, Asagai and that whole thing, um, and, you know, if this play is in 1958, 1959, it's right before all of the independence of yes, African yes, countries, yes. Right? right? So right. That, is, yes. that is boiling right now. And mm-hmm. Lorraine Hansberry knows about that. Yeah. Lorraine right. Hansberry has been to some of those countries, you know. Yeah. So so it, it just sort of sometimes perplexes me because the fact that Benita is the one who's interested in these things automatically, to me, puts them at a sort of lower level of yeah. importance as, oh, the, interesting. as other things yeah. that are going on in the play, mm. right? I mean, well, and they have that whole flaming spear scene, which I honestly, right. like, don't... Was that in the movie, too? To, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't quite know what to do with it. Well, and, and it seems like, I don't know, this is one of the things that, um, that puzzles me about the play, hmm. and maybe it's just something that I need to think about more, I don't know, but, you know... Maybe it's Lorraine Hansberry sort of thinking about her audience, and mm. that's why she's treating it this way. Um, but Asagai is definitely a man of dignity. Yeah. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a man who's yeah. who's mm-hmm. very smart, mm-hmm. and he says a lot of really insightful things mm-hmm. about right. the family, about right. Benita, about mm-hmm. Walter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he's, he's definitely someone that we should admire, and I think we're supposed to to want her to go with him. Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, he's the one who gives her a nickname that is really beautiful, right? right? Yeah. Alayo, which means, and like he, like you know, there, there's a while before you fit, you know, he tells mm-hmm. us, and right. like I was waiting with bated breath. I'm like, come on, tell me what you're gonna <laughs> tell me. And he finally kind of gets it out. He says, uh, it, he's because he says it's uh, things can be so different when it changes languages, mm-hmm. and then he finally figures it out. It means it means one for whom bread, food, mm-hmm. is not enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there is something about Lorraine Hansberry that feels to me kind of like um, about Benita, sorry, that feels like she is the it, dream. Yeah, is and that Benita, she is like a Hansberry. Yeah, um, analog or something. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but. No, I, but I think I did that Freudian slip. It was a Freudian slip that meant yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're, so maybe we're not, to, we're not supposed to dismiss Benita's dream, that somehow we should pay attention to that. But it's hard at the end of the play. Right. We don't yeah. we don't get supported in that mm-hmm. because she gets literally dismissed. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, she's. Yeah. I just see, feel like she's not yeah. because she's not a part of the sort of patriarchal structure of right. the family, which mm. is being emphasized so much. It's mm-hmm. Walter do the right thing mm-hmm. because your right. son needs to see you do the right thing mm-hmm. because you will pass down this right. notion of manhood and masculinity, the real manhood mm-hmm. and masculinity, which is not going out and cheating, which is not about. Drinking in bars, which is not mm. about having your own liquor store. It's about doing the right, right. thing. It's not about so, alcohol in any of its forms. Yeah, <laughs> it's not about any of that. It's about dignity. Uh, and like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's about making or being the proper role model for your son to make moral decisions, to have dignity, and to stand up when right. you have to make a decision between money and what's right. You do what is right, and obviously, you know his mother has done that, and. His father has basically sacrificed his life for ten thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which he gave more than half of it away, <laughs> and now he has to sort of, you know, um, make uh, some sort of, you know, um, he has to he has to make up for that, right? 
But he doesn't have to do that much. I don't know. That's the thing. <laughs> You're like, I wish that would no. <laughs> The bar is so low. Yeah. All I, right. Oh, we, one last thought? Yeah, I just want to say, again, you know, because of, you know, what I said a few minutes ago about how I had um, not given this play its due in mm-hmm. my own sort of early readings of it. And when it was, I always felt like it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a text that if you um, were in a class on African-American literature, you would absolutely read, right. certainly when mm-hmm. I was in college and probably still today. Mm-hmm. In high school, I'm sure it's yeah. taught a lot, mm-hmm. maybe less so now because of some of the language. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it might be more difficult to teach it now. I'm not sure w- whether it's taught or not. But yeah. I just think like it was something that I always thought if they're telling me I should read this, like maybe I should like not, I should reject it a little bit or something because mm-hmm. all the stuff mm-hmm. that they're not telling me to read like Amiri Baraka and people mm, like that, Sonia yeah. Sanchez or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, when I finally started reading that, I was like, oh, this is why. Mm-hmm. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, coming back to it now, and I'm so glad that we decided to read this and talk about this, um, has really, you know, made me think a lot differently about the play. And even though I still have I have some issues with it, mm-hmm. I still think it's a great play. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the things that so many people like James Baldwin and other people have written about this play, it's always about how it depicts relationships uh, between black people in these moments of struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of that, of what it does, and it, it, it ultimately shows the love of a family for each other despite mm-hmm. all the things yeah. that they're going through. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a tremendous amount of power in that, I think. Absolutely. But I feel like as a sociologist, I would be remiss not to say that, right? One of the, to think about sort of some of the historical context and the mm-hmm. sociological context in which mm-hmm. this is set and like literally thinking about like the segregation and why it was cheaper mm-hmm. for them to buy a house in sort of yeah. a white neighborhood. Right. So we're going to link to a few of these things um, in on our website when we get this up. But, you know, so I mentioned Jim Crow of the North, which is a documentary about racial segregation in Minneapolis. There's also when affirmative action was white by Ira Katz Nelson. And what was the other one that you mentioned? Uh, it's, it's called The Color of Law, How the mm-hmm. Government Segregated America, and it's by Richard Rothstein. Yeah, so check all those out as you kind of you know, read this play for you know, the fact that it's about a family, but also it's about all these other bigger things that were happening and still happening. And as we mentioned, it's the 60th anniversary of the play and the housing segregation that they were dealing with in 1959 is still a reality. Yeah. Yeah. So, And then also yeah. one last plug, this is a shameless plug for <laughs> an edited collection that I have an essay in, but Ooh. it's called The Strange Careers of Jim Crow North. Mm-hmm. And it's nice. about um, kind of struggle and resistance outside of the South. And so putting that in uh, context and conversation with the Katz Nelson book and the Rothstein book, I think will provide a lot of historical context for what was happening you know, when this play was out. Great. And can I say just finally mm-hmm. that if this is the 60th anniversary, this year's the 60th anniversary, look for productions of A Raisin yeah. the Sun because I would yeah. imagine that uh, theaters, companies are going to be putting it mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, and also definitely watch Sidney Poitier do his uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Willie scene. <laughs> Not that money, Willie. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do our usual uh, rounding off with talking about a book that we're reading. Do you want to start us off, Adriana? Sure. Um, so I um, am mainly reading for classes right now because we are, you know, back in our third term at Carleton and it's a whirlwind. Um, one of the books I'm reading for class is The Antelope Wife by Louise Erdrich, mm-hmm. which is a kind of multi-generational story of um, indigenous histories and white Minneapolis mm-hmm. and um, these complicated stories of addiction and 
um, abuse and survivance. And it's really beautiful and challenging because of these, these fantastic elements. Um, one of the reasons I'm reading it in the class that I am is um, there are ways in which um, people's boundaries with their bodies uh, defy the human, right? Mm -hmm. So people get associated with animals or have relationships with animals. Um, mm -hmm. And it asks us to think about what we need in order to, um, in, in order to survive. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. I'm doing uh, a bit of professional duty by reading a book that I have to review. <laughs> um, and so it's called Jim Crow Capital, Wash <laughs> Women and Black Freedom Struggles in Washington, D.C. from 1920 to 1945 um, by Mary Elizabeth Murphy. And so kind of just thinking about um, black women and uh, activism um, pre-World War II. Well, up to World War II, basically. Hmm. Sounds cool. great. Thanks. Um, I am reading um, a book called A Billion Black Anthropocenes or None by Catherine Yusoff, which is a like a slim little book in this collection that uh, University of Minnesota Press has been doing, hmm. um, where it's basically about a scholar has an idea, and the little book is sort of like them developing their idea maybe before it's um, mm. at book length form. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I don't remember where I read about this book, but it's basically trying to um, bring geology and um, sort of theories of black being together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's a lot of the theory for it comes out of um, Afro-pessimist mm -hmm. thinkers. Um, and sort of post, I think, well, I don't know if anyone's calling it, but I, call it, I would call it post-Afro-pessimist. Catherine like, McKittrick. Yeah, mm -hmm. Catherine McKittrick, like black G women's cartographies mm -hmm. and things like that. Right. Um, so I am reading it. I'm not sure I'm completely <laughs> but it's one of those books that I usually, when I'm reading a book that I don't entirely understand, I go back to it three, four times, mm -hmm. and it, it's usually because it, I don't understand it because it's really, really, really great and, and has a lot to chew on. So, mm -hmm. uh, so far, I'm just a few pages in, but I'm really enjoying <laughs> this, even if I'm not entirely processing sure everything. I'll get there eventually. I brought to my students recently Spivak's three yeses to readings. Mm. You know, so like, um, not to like say no to a book or really critique it until you've said yes three times, oh. right? Ah, okay. So yes to like reading it, mm -hmm. um, yes to actually engaging it enough to kind of get a sense of the full argument, right. mm -hmm. um, and yes to seeing what it adds or like the value that it brings. Yeah, I believe that. Like I would never mm -hmm. turn down or throw down a book because I don't understand it. That yeah. seems like not being fair to it. Exactly. So I need to like try to figure it out at least to the point where I can be like, oh, well, I, I don't. I don't buy that. <laughs> then I can throw it down. Right, then you can throw but it. I don't anticipate that happening with this book, by the way. Cool. It's super fascinating to me. So, All right. Um, I'm reading a book called A Handbook for My Lover, which is by Rosalind DeMello. Um, she's an Indian art critic, hmm. and it's a book that chronicles her six-year affair with a uh, much older man than her. And I have to say, it's the first book that I've like, read how by... How much older? Like, yeah decades okay. uh, so, uh, no no yeah good question and I have to say it's like the first book I feel like I've read by an Indian woman that is like very sexual and it has made me blush on a regular basis <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's awesome so, on that note right. <laughs> so our next episode we're going to be discussing a selection of poems from Dennis Smith's book Don't Call Us Dead and our plan is to like read a couple of our favorite poems and to discuss those so we would definitely recommend that you go read the poems but also if you don't get to it we'll read them and discuss them so it's like easy work 
work for y'all. <laughs> and just to give you a heads up about our next, next book, we're going to be talking about Claudia Rankine's play, The White Card, which I think just recently came out. Yep. And um, I guess it'll be our second play <laughs> so that we're going to be reading and discussing. We're getting all play happy Exactly. Now, right? <laughs> but first up, next will be Dinesh Smith's book, uh, Don't Call Us Dead. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and find us on all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, website, Facebook, Twitter. Send us questions. Spotify, apparently. Spotify. Let yeah. us know. Yeah. Yeah. We're on Spotify now. So yeah, find us. Send us for some comments. For all you millennials, podcast <laughs> on Spotify. You can yeah. find us now. I tried opening a Spotify account. I don't really understand it, but anyway. Well, I, I, I was mentioning. Someone mentioned in like I was with students, and someone was like, "Oh, Dr. Lawrence has a podcast." and he, the student was like, was it on Spotify? And I was like, mm, no. Now it is. So now it is. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you have mm. no excuse for yeah. not listening, millennials. Yeah. All right. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye. to another brand spanking new episode of The Drip recorded at my house in Slightly Thawing, St. Paul, Minnesota. The Drip is written, produced, and directed by the All Spoilers Collective, which is Anita, Adriana, Crystal, and me. Our mascot is Basha Dog. Our music is by Lord Jordan X. We'll be back in early May with a new episode on St. Paul's own poet Donez Smith, who is winning all sorts of acclaim for the collection Don't Call Us Dead. We're going to pick some poems we like, read them to you, and discuss them. So if you don't have time to read the whole book by May, you can still listen in. And check out our Driplet episode on Jordan Peele's Us, a film it turned out we had a lot more to talk about than even we knew. So until next time, peace, y'all.